Willie do? Big news. Samsung says it has fixed the Galaxy Fold and they've got a release date for it. So, they, I mean, they've been saying they fixed it for a minute, but the important part here is an actual release date. The product is coming. You're going to be able to buy it. We wondered if this would ever happen, if this day would come, or if Samsung was kind of just, uh, you know, dragging us along here. All the stories. Yeah, we're fixing it. We're going to plug the gaps and change the hinge. And the thing was, it was a, it was a, I mean, I had my hands on it a long time ago now when it was in the studio. Mm. So you started to hear these excuses and wonder if it was ever going to come to be. You had the retailers who were refunding the pre-orders. So then you knew it was going to go over 30, 60 days. You knew it was going to take a while at that point. Now it turns out we got a date. So Samsung, they weren't lying. Assuming they stick to this date, they weren't lying. They were going to go back to the drawing board, make these improvements, and then make the product commercially available. Now, if you head over to the article on The Verge, Willie Do, you will see that they've even handed some images to the press to showcase the changes that they've made to the eventual version that will be sold at retail. And if you scroll down to the first image there, you will, you will see the, no, not that image, the next one down, next one down. There you go. That one with the hinge on it or the front side of the hinge where the screen was previously exposed. So the top visual showcases the hinge the way it originally was. And it's kind of open to the back end, open to the metallic components. And many of the reviewers who had issues with the Galaxy Fold, this is precisely where they think the problem occurred through the intrusion of some kind of particle. There was the talk, in fact, in the Verge's case of maybe like a little piece of modeling clay mm -hmm. getting in there or some other fragment maybe some dust sand something like this which eventually led to a bulge in the display and then a malfunctioning of the display so that particular area which used to be open now has what looks like some sort of rubberized plug permanently in that location bridging the gap between the opening in the hinge and it looks to be of a, a different material than the plastic surrounding the camera it looks to be its own exclusive material. Just based on the image, I would guess it's kind of soft, uh, rubberized. And does it mean that the potential for a similar type of problem doesn't exist at all? No. I don't think that will ever exist if you're putting something in your pocket. Particles move around, sand, dust, and so forth. But it does look like, based on the appearance of this image, that it will be more difficult for those particles to make their way into... The, the structure of the device and under the display. Now, of course, as we referenced in the past, the other piece here is in relationship to the cover on top of the screen, the screen protector. And, and that's the thing that caused the majority of the problems. People tried to peel it off, and it turns out it was, it was a critical component within the display structure, and it wasn't supposed to be pulled off at all. So on the next version, Samsung has taken that protective covering and pulled it around the outside below the bezel of the device so that you can't pick at it, so that you wouldn't assume it was a screen protector and you wouldn't try to remove it. Now, it's important to note here that Samsung has also basically come out and said, this has been embarrassing. We're not happy about the way it went down. They've even admitted to rushing the product to be first to market. So it's rare that a company of this scale is going to be this apologetic and this transparent. So you have to believe there is some goodwill and they really do want to fix the thing or else why would you come out 
and make those types of statements. Now, I feel like, you know, from, from my vantage point, being in this position, playing with these different products and having had experience with the previous version, I don't think these fixes in this short amount of time are automatically going to turn this into the most durable device or even a device as uh, durable as the industry standard for a slab-style smartphone. I don't think that's going to be the case. This is still a mechanical device. It has moving parts on it, which your, your smartphone in your pocket right now probably doesn't. So because of that, you need to shift your mindset. Even with these fixes, you should be a little bit more delicate with a product like this if you choose to pre-order one. And the other reason for that is the fact that the cost is going to remain the same as the original launch, which is $1,980. That's a $2,000 smartphone, Willie Do. Mm. That's a big time, that's a big time payout right there. You gotta you gotta look deep in the wallet for that one. You know, you don't see that on the initial open you open the wallet, you don't see it immediately. You gotta look deeper inside there. And it's gotta last a, at least a couple of years. Couple years. You gotta get two years out of it. So my warning right now to the people who really are into it, think it's the coolest thing ever, wanna be on the cutting edge, wanna be an early adopter, treat it nice, treat it right. Because you're not gonna have it for very long if you don't, even with these fixes. Now the other image showcase just below the one that you're looking at right there is from the back end it's looking at the hinge from the back side and apparently there the design is 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 very similar there's a subtle difference apparently uh in how the hinge closes and how the protective material you see a little bit more rubber in there i guess i don't know is this one's hard to tell i don't know why you would release this or what you're hoping to indicate here from a durability perspective but apparently there's been changes to the backside of the hinge as well. Maybe that's another region in which these particles could slip inside to uh, to where your display likes to live. So anyhow, the release date, very important, is September. Okay, so it's not an actual day in September. I know a lot of people probably would have hoped for that. But it's September, and September ain't that far away. It's a long distance from the original hope, from the original announcement. But it's coming up kind of shortly now. And it's important. It's a critical date because Samsung had to be out before the holiday season with this particular product. They had the announcement. They had the hype. There's a little bit of it, a little residual, still lasting, still remaining. And you got to get out when people have their, have their cash ready to go, which is, of course, back to school holiday season in that region. That's the hot time in the technology segment. It's when all the other smartphones come out as well. So if people were sitting there with two grand burning a hole in their pocket and this thing wasn't ready to go, they may have put that two grand elsewhere. And there's not going to be a shortage of options in that department for what to do with your money. Of course, we're going to have new iPhones, new Pixel phones, all kinds of new stuff coming out in that same time range. So Samsung was really under the gun to do what they could. But because of that time restraint, that's part of the reason why I still feel like this thing is going to be only for the handlers who are willing to, to put the attention into how they hold and treat this thing. And I was already like that for the record. When I got the first version, I was like, I'm not doing, there's no durability testing happening here. Mm. You understand? Like, I'm not, I felt the display. I'm like, there ain't no scratch testing going on out here. This is not Gorilla Glass. This is a 1.0 device. This is a first kick at the, what do they say? Kick at the can? Do they yeah. say that? Mm -hmm. First kick at the can. I don't know if they say it like that. Anyway. Uh, so I just treated it as such, and I realized that from my position, it's not even really fair to recommend it to people. You see, I think it's really important to, to, to remember 
I'm getting these smartphones, dude. It's part of the gig. It's like they're flowing like a river into the studio. Smartphones are here, right? And so you have to extract yourself a little bit and put yourself in the shoes of the customer to do an effective job of being in this position. And so when you do that, you realize better ease up here. As enthusiastic as I was about the product, because I was like, man, it, it represents... It represents imagination. It represents ambition and all this rest of this stuff. For a person, so does two grand. Two grand represents those things for them. Mm -hmm. So you have to make that adjustment. I think it's exciting nonetheless. I can't wait to get my hands on it. One thing, last thing to add, uh, it looks like based on some leaks here that they're not going to release it in as many markets as was originally planned. So that's one area where they're potentially going to be less ambitious and instead stick to a select number of markets. Now, part of me thinks that has to do with meeting the volume necessary with the new changes that they've made, but also, I guess, hedging your bets a little bit instead of doing this really ambitious rollout. If there is some next issue, there's a little time to maybe make some tweaks. So I think it's like US, UK, India's on there. I did not see Canada on the list. So Samsung, if you're watching this, don't play around. You understand? The audience here at Unbox Therapy, as well as Lou Later, is international, ladies and gentlemen. So when this next version of the Fold is available to preview, to look at, uh, you got to hit, hit up Willie Do. You know how to get a hold of him. Do they know how to get a hold of you? Mm -hmm. They do. Okay. So hit up Willie Do and like, let's get the thing over here. I need to take a look at it. I spent so much time with the old one. I need to see these changes. I need to evaluate. And the people need to hear it. And I'm sure you guys can all go shout at Samsung too. You go, you go let them know on social media. Say, get this over to the, to the guy. Don't say the guy because they won't know who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But you could tag one of our handles. The bearded guy. The bearded one. That's actually what they call me in China on the social media in China. Did you know that? I'm called yeah. Big Beard. Yeah. Although the beard itself is not that big, but I think I'm, you know. Yeah. They and think I'm big. Big guy. I don't mind. You call me Big Beard. You call me whatever you like. You just watch the videos, all right? Don't skip. How dare you? Uh, sticking to the Samsung news for a minute, because this one really caught my attention. Galaxy Note 10 Plus 5G heading to Verizon first. Okay, you follow me on this? Mm. Note 10 Plus 5G heading to Verizon first. And then this next line is going to get your attention. Pre-orders get a free Note 10. You hear me on this? So I was out here yesterday filming, talking about how this is going to be such an expensive phone. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Maybe Verizon, maybe they require you to sign up. Yeah, look, it says with unlimited. So you got to have a plan and subsidies and blah, blah, blah. But still, if you're already a Verizon customer on an unlimited plan or you're going to sign up for one, how about this deal? You buy yourself a Note 10 Plus, and they give you a free Note 10 standard. I think that's pretty cool. Now, the other interesting piece here is, of course, it's going to be a 5G variant. Mm. So 5G is still a limited capacity in North America, the U.S. Verizon is only available in certain markets. They say 20 cities to be blanketed by the end of 2019. It is now live, their 5G network, that is Verizon's, in Chicago and Minneapolis, rolling out in other places. So a differentiating piece for them, you know, Verizon's got to love it. They say, hey, we got this hot new network, we got the hot new phone for the hot new network, and 
you get one for your significant other. You know what a significant other is, Will? Um, I would like to know. One day. <laughs> no, Otis doesn't count, Will. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. You understand? Kirk's, um, Kirk's uh, got a significant other. Mm-hmm. I, what do you think about a term? I don't like that term. Significant other. I got lots of significant oh. other. Kidding me? It's a bit long, but partner is worse than significant other. No, nah, I don't know. People <laughs> love partner. I don't know. I don't like any of it. Labels. Who needs these labels anyway? So, so that's kind of interesting. You are going to have to pre-order if you want to get that deal. And it also states in here, by the way, that the Note 10 Plus 5G is set to cost a few hundred dollars more than the S10 5G. And the S10 5G is $1,300, Willie, dude. So now you start to see my numbers here, my prediction is mapping out. Mm. Remember I said it was going to be around $1,500? Mm-hmm. Well, they're saying here, based on their information, it will be a few hundred dollars more than the S10 5G. So are they saying $1,600? Damn! Smartphone prices, 2019. Smartphone prices, 2019. You see that, Will? They're taking people to the cleaners. This is an amazing deal. It's a good deal. Getting two phones? It's a good deal. But you still got to pay $1,600 for the first one. I know, but if you sell like the other one. Sell the second one. Yeah. Okay. You could potentially sell the 5G version. So you sell the standard 5G. Oh, you sell the the plus 5G. The more expensive one, yeah. And keep the other one subsidized. Right. Willie, do you're you're, you're always out here, you know? Always thinking. You know what? It's one of your better moments. Yeah. So I hope the people appreciate when you get something like that from Willie Do. Yeah, because it's pretty rare. Yeah, because where are you going to get that type of insight on the internet in 2019? I don't know where else. So you sell one, you understand? Mm -hmm. And it subsidizes the cost of your own. Or, like I said earlier, you treat somebody, Will. Mm -hmm. You give Otis an extra. Exactly. (laughs) He could take his own photos. Yeah. He's got to run. He's got to manage that Instagram account. He's blowing up. He's got to manage that count right there. He's got a lot of people in the DMs. Yeah. They, they're not called DMs on Instagram, are they? He got, a, he got people in the DMs. Yeah. He Kirk gave own, me the nod. He so has I'm his own makeup there. line coming up. So. Oh, well, don't joke about that. That's, t- that's too topical. <laughs> don't joke about that. Don't you dare joke about that. So anyway, uh, 5G phones, crazy expensive right now. Super fast. Going to be exciting to see them roll out. And Verizon with a special program here to give you two for the price of one, though the price of one, kind of the price of two, which reminds me of two-for-one pizza, where they were like, it's two-for-one. <laughs> but then the price of the first pizza is the price of two pizzas at the other place. Yeah. You see that? That's how they get you. Yeah, two-for-one pizza. That's a throwback right there. You don't know if you're not in this area. You don't know. But if you know, you know. And if you didn't know, now you know. Bring up the logo. Do they still exist, by the way? I don't know. He just found one. Established established in, what, 1986 or something? I don't know, man. They're still doing it. Two-for-one pizza. It was the hottest thing when it came out. When it came out, it blew people's mind. What do you mean two-for-one pizza? They were like, what do you mean two-for-one pizza? No one bought it. Every kid's at school. How are you not going to get two-for-one? So, anyway, I haven't been there in a long time, but. Sometimes they do that because you know a lot of people, they're considering, well, I'll just pick up the OnePlus. What am I going to pay? Five, six hundred. Right? And they go, no, no, no. You get a free phone over here. But it's like, yeah, the original phone is 1600. Sheesh. Anyway. Tesla, uh, they've been uh, taking some heat. Well, you know, 
Uh, I think their earnings weren't what people wanted. Their stock is, man, you watch that thing, look at that, minus 35. Minus $35, equivalent to 13% of the value. People are upset. I don't know. They weren't happy with the profits. They weren't happy with what Elon said. And they also, maybe most importantly, they weren't happy with the CTO and co-founder, J.B. Straubel, stepping down. So he got on a phone call. And he's like, I'm out. And this guy's been there since day one. And obviously a CTO, an important, uh, important role within a company. I don't think he made this reaction, Will, that you're showing. No, like, I don't why, think. Why would you post this? Yeah, they post like that a... because, you know, it, it sends a message of like, ouch. So, but it's obviously not in relationship. He's showing a picture of Elon making an expression. So during Tesla's earnings calls, call today, the company announced that one of its longest tenured executives is leaving the company. This guy, JB, credited with uh, coming up with various battery technology and help launch programs like the Supercharger Network and the Tesla Energy business. Uh, he was there more than a decade ago. Wow, that's crazy. It's crazy that Tesla's been around that long, to be honest, but they've been at it, man. Uh, anyway, he says something interesting on the phone call, which was he wanted to make sure that people knew it wasn't some lack of confidence in the company or the team or anything like that. You see that piece at the end? Or anything like that. And, and, and this is one of those moments where there's almost like nothing he can say that's going to be satisfactory to people. He's like, I'm out. But like the company's amazing. Have a, It's like Kawhi Leonard. He did the press conference with the Clippers because he's with the Clippers now, Will. Mm. And he comes on the press conference. He's like, I want to thank Toronto, man. He comes on the press conference. He's like, Kawhi and Dine, the fans, the doctors that delivered the baby. Like he just comes out thanking everybody in Toronto. Now, I don't want to take anything away because he was completely sincere. Like, I actually liked it. I appreciated it. But it's one of those moments where if people are upset, it really doesn't, they're not ready to receive what you're putting out there. They've already cast their judgment. They're already upset. And so you're going to try to say a lot of things and some are going to receive it, but some are not. And I feel like that's the circumstance here with the Tesla thing where how can you say you're leaving a company, but you still believe in it? How, how do you do that? What kind of words can you string together to prove to people you have the utmost confidence that that company is rock solid, that that company is full of rock stars, that that company is the future, but you're going to go do something else mm. when you've got this kind of high role within the company? It's, that's a hard... How do you manage that? Now, the other thing that gets me going is if you do leave a company like that and a position like that, maybe it's because of uh, personal relationships within there, within the company, or... Maybe it's because you got poached from one of these other big, you know, mm -hmm. the big players who are like, oh, yeah, we're trying to do electric. Grab that CTO over there. Mm -hmm. Pay him double. I don't know. They're, they're hurting for profits over at Tesla. Who knows what his salary looks like or his stock options or whatever else. Maybe I'm Ford and I want to do my very own battery tech like they do. Hire that guy. Now, I don't know. There could be restrictions that exist within his contract that don't allow him to do that. Maybe he has to sit out for like two years before he could go do something like that. But there's a lot going on here. So he's leaving the company. Wow, look what you just found on the Time article here. Leaving CTO role after 30 million in Tesla share sales. So you see that? So there's more to the story, dude. And it's just not good news for Tesla, which is unfortunate because it really feels like there, there's a dent being made there. It really feels like... Um, They've got a product that's good. 
and the other pieces just can't line up, like the, the profit component mm -hmm. and the delivery component and these various uh, pieces that are hard to execute to making cars is hard, man. Yeah, not to mention like sabot saboteurs, sabotaging. Wait know. a second, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. You can come in here with a word like saboteurs. <laughs> that's what you're going to do? Well, that's what Elon said. And so you're going to come in here. What is it? On a Thursday? Yeah. You can come in here on a Thursday and drop a saboteur on us. Yeah. All right. That's what they're called. Wow. I don't know what you're having other, a day. Uh, you're having a day today. Lack of a better word. You're 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 having a day today. You're looking to hit for the cycle today. Yeah. You're having a day today. Mm. That's a baseball reference. I wouldn't know. All right, go on. We got you. Saboteurs. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think last year they were, you know, sabotaging Elon's plans from inside. Mm -hmm. He sent an email. Who can you trust? Oh yeah. Man, such a high-profile company, to be honest. And I know one of the big things that happens here, because it's a high-profile company, attracts a lot of attention from the news, attracts a lot of attention from the hype. He attracts a lot of attention on Twitter himself. And you got the people who short the stock because it's this high-profile thing. It's just a lot of pieces around the actual core piece, which is trying to make and deliver these cars, that influences the way these stories come out, the, the human behaviors around it. Ultimately, uh, the, the stock price eventually, it's, it's this, there's extreme complexity to this thing. But uh, as of right now, it's bad news for Tesla going forward. The stock is plunging. That's a real thing that's happening. Whether Elon agrees with it or not, it's happening. And uh, you just, you just want to see Tesla stick around. You want to see Tesla hang around. I'm not suggesting they won't. But the, the problem is if the profitability isn't there and you can't continue to secure funding, eventually you got to look at being acquired. And the, the thing you worry about is if they do get acquired, I don't know by who, there was talk of like Apple acquiring them, I think, at one time. But that could have just been a rumor. But maybe another car company or something like this, then you worry that the original DNA, that the inspiration might take a backseat post-acquisition. So... Uh, you don't you don't necessarily hope for that. You don't hope for anyone to fail in that game. So unless you're unless you actually literally hope by shorting the stock, in which case you do hope for them to fail. But I'm not one of those people. I mean, I'm I'm not one of those people on either side. I don't own Tesla stock and I don't short Tesla stock. So speaking of cars, this one really this one really bothered me. Well, BMW adds an eighty dollar yearly subscription for Apple's CarPlay. This is like I saw this. I'm like, what are you doing? Nickel and diming. Terrible, BMW. You make nice stuff, man. What are you doing with this? They're selling cars 50 Gs and up, and you're going you're gonna to charge your customers $80 a year for Apple's CarPlay? Now, I should say, they give you an option of paying $300 for life. 20 years <laughs> to have Apple Car. What are we doing here? They claim it helps them to keep their overall costs low. What, by $300 more? What, what are we doing? We're I got good. the impression that Apple um, CarPlay was free. It is free. It is free on every other manufacturer. Every manufacturer. So every BMW, there's like a, there's software in there that, and if you pay 80 bucks, it enables it. I, I would assume that would be the case. Well, mm. 80 bucks a year or $300 outright for a lifetime cost. You'll see it as a line item on your invoice to buy your car. Now, it's important to note that when you, when you buy a car, it's got, like, options on it. You're paying ridiculous sums of money for little improvements anyway. Like, oh, well, what do you want? You want your carpet to be that color? Okay, here you go. 
two grand or whatever, you know? So they're used to the idea of it. But when it hits the news like this with a headline like this, you can't help, especially when you're looking at a luxury brand like BMW, you can't help but be a bit aggravated at like, really? That's the way you want to play it? That's the way you yeah. want to do it? And presumably someone could leave the dealership without CarPlay enabled, go plug in their iPhone to their new 100000 You could spend $100,000 on a BMW. Mm-hmm. Their brand new luxury vehicle. They go to plug their phone and it's like, Please put in your credit card. I mean, man. Meanwhile, down the street, Will, at the Toyota dealership, they're just peeling off, listening mm. to their car play. Mm. You see how that goes? It's a bit rude in my estimation here. Now, apparently, their defense, they gave people a lot of warning here. Uh, they announced their intentions 18 months ago, but it doesn't make it more palatable for BMW owners. Uh, cars like the Kia Creed, for example. Let Look up the Kia Creed, because that's what they're listing in this Engadget article as a comparison. Look at this little guy. You got four doors. Actually, that looks pretty sporty. I don't I don't mind the look of that. Kia. Kia Creed. Oh, Key? Seed. 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 Look at the, pick, click the picture to the right there, the one in the middle, right in the middle. That's not bad looking. With the rims. Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, it's a hatchback four-door. Well, they call it a five-door hatchback because the, the trunk is not a... It's a door. I hate that, oh, by the way. Can I just... It opens on the side. Five-door. No, they call it a five-door when it's a hatchback. Mm. I don't know. It makes me... It makes me angry. What is? What are you talking about? Door. Who's going in that door? Kirk gets in his car from the fifth door. <laughs> Later, guys. <laughs> this is my fifth door. I'm sure there's a good reason for it, but anyway, I'm not with it. Uh, so that car there gets... Gets CarPlay and Android Auto. And can we get a starting price on that, Will? Can you give us a starting price on this car right here? I'm, I mean, I'm sure we're going to see right away. It starts at, oh, you got it in UK UK prices here, 23,000 pounds. It's a, probably a $25,000 car, something in that neighborhood you get both. But I don't even need to tell you that. So many cars come with it now straight out the gate, and you can't help but feel like you're being nickel and dimed here by BMW. And it's the last thing you really want to feel when you step into a dealership, when you engage with a car brand with a history and a reputation like BMW, it's a terrible move. I recommend, well, BMW, I know you're not watching this, but if you are, if, or if you're connected to anyone there, get rid of this. This is a bad move. You want to be perceived as technologically advanced. You don't want to be perceived as archaic. You want to be perceived as adopting the new technologies and making it easier for customers to do so. You want them to, to be straight out the gate with the latest tech, including Apple CarPlay. Get rid of this nickel and diming, okay? I don't care if you made an announcement. I don't care if you're in the car business. I don't care if you got line items. I don't care, Will. Mm. This is too much now. I agree. You got to have that one straight out the gate. All right, next up, this is, a, this is a cool one, Will. This is a cool one coming via Gizmodo. Scientists have created a prosthetic arm that lets patients feel touch again. Unbelievable. I love this kind of story. This is, uh, this is the science fiction stuff that I used to think about as a kid, like the robotic arm, the idea of, cause you know, they used to put the commercial on TV, which would scare me with the amputees. Mm. We go, don't go near the lawnmower. Right. Uh, the war amps they're called. I don't yeah, know. War amps. I don't know where that airs, what countries that airs in, but it would be a kid who would tell you like, look, I got too close to a tractor and I lost my arm or my leg or whatever it might be. And it would be on, they would put it on kids programming to, to warn you Against like heavy machinery, lawnmowers, cars, 
to be to be wary because you could uh, end up injured or whatever. And so I used to watch that commercial and think, man, in the superhero comics, or or or, or how about in Star Wars? Because Luke Skywalker, he he gets the robotic arm at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's cool. It's a cool thought. Like ah, so what? Got your arm chopped out. Here's a better one. I don't know. It was a science fiction solution. This is one of the areas where I feel like tech, when it can restore for humans, when it can do a restoration product for human or project for humans, it's really inspirational. So uh, scientists at the University of Utah say they've created technology that can return some degree of feeling for people with amputations, creating prosthetics capable of providing sensation. And funny enough, I mentioned Luke Skywalker. I believe they call it Luke. <laughs> inspired by his robotic deal. The hand itself looks incredible also. Apparently the way it works is they're able to tap into some of the remaining nerve endings on the remaining part of the arm, like where the the biological arm would have originally attached. And this new method is a lot more effective, again, according to this article, than, than trying to come from the outside in, stimulating parts of the brain or something like this, and trying to trying to uh, sort of modify the chain of sensation. Instead, just go tap into the original fibers and uh, and have it interact in that fashion. So apparently, this individual who t- who got a chance to test it out uh, was was picking things up, clasping his hands together, maybe not having the, de- the degree of sensation that he would have originally had, but having the closest he's ever experienced. Can you imagine that feeling, Will? Mm-hmm. Like, of, ha- of having not having an arm for years, getting the robotic one, and then, like, plucking a grape and putting it in your mouth. Ugh. Dude! It will be incredible. And the fact that, looking at this, it, it looks like a hand. It looks it, great. It, it's not like a claw or something or, like, some sort of uh, other contraption. It actually looks like like a real hand with fingers. And that's exactly what he did. He reached out, putting his two hands together, moving them and rubbing them against one, one another. Kind of like this. Like how you just, you know, you, you take it for granted. You probably don't even realize how often you, your hands are together. Uh, he put them against one another, feeling his hand with the prosthetic hand as if it were almost real. And feeling perhaps almost whole again for the first time in nearly 15 years. All right? You see this, Will? This is real stuff. For the people who work on this kind of thing, I can't imagine the feeling for them as well. To mm-hmm. see that in action, to know all the engineering you put into it. All the years. All the years that you put into the process to now have a patient and to watch their reaction to have this. You know, you see sometimes those clips go viral of somebody hearing for the first time or mm-hmm. seeing for the first, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mostly hearing, I think. And they start crying right away because it's so overwhelming. The experience. I can imagine a similar experience here, not just for the person who gets to be enabled again with with, a, with the robotic hand and a feeling, but also for the individuals who spent that same amount of time practically and have built on top of one another in order to to deliver a technology like that that could 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 create an experience like that. It's uh, it's really amazing. It's uh, it's one of those situations in which, you know, oftentimes we analyze tech, will, and we're like, you know, it's the good and the bad. It's like, it's like smartphones, they're great. But then again, people are addicted and they don't look at each other anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. could be terrible. You watch Black Mirror, you're like, could be bad. Mm-hmm. Then you see something like this and you're like, you know what? I don't see the downside. I don't know, man. They could put, oh, they could man. put here AI he goes. in here. Will, here goes Will. Here he goes. Now it's going to, 
yeah, now it's AI and it's super strength and it's oh, yeah. it's crushing Will's larynx in the superhero yep. comic book. Punching me right in the nose. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can go that direction, but at least for the time being, this is an incredible discovery, incredible right. engineering come together to actually make a difference for somebody in, in real life and to deliver touchback. That's it. Just, I don't know. That stuff to me is super cool. So shout out to the research team, the scientists at the University of Utah. You're doing the real stuff. That's some real stuff going on right there, and I like mm -hmm. it. Uh, here's one, a little off the tech topic, but uh, it caught my attention. American Airlines flight attendant requires stitches after emotional support dog bite. <laughs> I, I, was, I don't know. I was just reading. I got to throw it in there because it's just... You know, you know what? A, do you know what an emotional support dog is? Well, I shouldn't be laughing. Do you know what an emotional support dog is? Well, uh, I have a vague idea. That's Otis, okay? Otis is your emotional. <laughs> <laughs> he gets me through the day. <laughs> this is like you cannot go on the airplane without the dog, because it's someone who has extreme anxiety. Exactly, because you can't. The dog calms you down. Because you can't calm yourself down, the dog calms you down, so now you can get on the plane. And this is how you, this is also how you can get around some of the restrictions putting pets like right on your lap or in the seat or whatever in the cabin because it's emotional. Mm -hmm. You see, so it's like, it's a thing where the airlines have agreed to grant you that ability in order to maintain you as a customer. They say, okay, we'll put up, you, you can do this in certain circumstances. Not everybody can qualify. I don't know if there's paperwork, but there's certain restrictions around it. Anyway, in this particular case, a flight, a flight attendant employed by American Airlines was bit on the left hand, and she required five stitches. So she's in, I guess it's mid-flight, because she got to uh, go get it stitched up when she lands. So she got this open wound. I guess she can't really do her job uh, properly. Maybe she had some bandages. I guess they have first aid, so she probably had it covered up, but that, that ain't going uh, to be too fun. Oh, it's a male flight attendant. Sorry, I take that back. Mm. American Flight 3506, and it remains unclear at this time exactly when the staffer was bitten, or why, or what breed the emotional support dog was. It was I mean, it was enough to put five stitches in a man. And so you have to, look, look, here's the thing, Will. That's just one stage. That's like one degree of, of madness right there. Like, you imagine this, the scene. This dog bites the person. Splits them open, stitches, blood. Pretty traumatic on a flight, even as a passenger, where you start to go, I'm not really enjoying this experience that much. Uh, some people are already nervous of flying. Maybe they don't have full-blown anxiety. Maybe they don't have their own emotional support, support dog, but they're sitting next to now a full-out attack yeah. and blood, and they're like, ah. Then now, now everybody on the flight needs an emotional support dog. Ain't enough dogs to go around because the dogs who are supposed to be supporting the emotion, they're making people more emotional. <laughs> I want to know how the person felt. The, the, <laughs> we need more emotional dogs in there. Yeah, and then the emotion, the, all the emotional dogs for the emotional people are getting emotional themselves. Yeah. You see that? He's there to be emotionally supportive. He couldn't handle his emotions. <laughs> this goes to show you what's wrong with emotional support in general. you got to manage your own emotions. Because you can't speak to the emotions of the other being that's supposedly managing yours. Yeah. Now, I don't know. Maybe this uh, flight attendant was a little too rambunctious. Mm. Yeah, maybe he's reaching out. Maybe he's bugging the dog. I don't know. It could be. We're lacking some information here. But I'm going to take it a step deeper. 
because there was a similar headline on a Delta uh, airline where a passenger is officially suing the car carrier after allegedly being mauled in the face by a fellow passenger's emotional support dog on a flight in 2017, suffering serious injuries to the face and upper body. And as you can see here, this individual is suing the carrier. He's suing the airline, saying, why would you let this dog onto the flight to begin with because it resulted in my injuries and I want some cash. So that was a headline that came out previously. And you can imagine if this, if you do this enough, if the number of dogs on a plane goes up, <laughs> this type of stuff is just going to have to happen more frequently. I mean, it's inevitable, right? More dogs, more teeth, more bites, right? I'm not saying dogs inherently want to bite people, but sometimes it happens. In these circumstances, it did happen. I just thought it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's hilariously contradictory that the one that's on the flight to support the emotions mm -hmm. is getting emotional, which is the dog, because dogs are dogs at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Dogs are dogs. You can attest. You know this is true. You have a dog. Dogs yeah. are dogs. I've had like dogs. That, that emotional dog should be trained for people coming up to them. I, I, I feel like I'm not okay, saying so, it's anyone's fault, but I think there's some sort of thing that transpired like that the dog didn't recognize so how do you vet how do you snapped how do you how do you maybe vet? it's food i don't know but how do you vet out a dog that's capable of being an emotional support dog versus just an everyday dog because the way i understand it is the person needs to be able to say look i got this anxiety so i got the dog right but then what's the vet on the dog like it's any dog. You could just be like, this is the dog that makes me feel better. And then they're like, okay. Or is it like when you have a dog that helps a blind person where they got to be, they got to yeah. hit the protocol. I think there's like a training session that uh, the people. The dog should go the, through. Yeah, the dog go through like a couple weeks, I think. I, I saw it on Netflix. Oh, okay. And uh, you, you feel emotionally attached throughout the, the weeks. And, you know, at, at that time, you just kind of adopt them and then. They become okay. Let me hit you with this, Willie. Do the subject of emotional support animals on planes has proven to be one of the most hotly debated travel topics ever since an emotional support peacock named Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> and his owner were rejected from boarding a United Airlines flight in January 2018. Uh, do you see where this is? Do you see how this goes, Will? You see what where you end up going here? You go into you go into crazy land real quick. Real quick. This is my uh, emotional support AK47. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I uh, look, I apologize for that by the way. Um I this just caught my attention. I don't know. It's so contradictory from from the jump. The thing that's supposed to be supporting emotions is not where you should be putting your emotions. Like, you got to get your stuff together, man. I don't know. Because ultimately, the thing itself, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of pressure on the thing. You're frantic. You're, you're, your energy, you know they feed off your energy, Will. You're scared. Mm -hmm. It's scared. The flight attendant's scared. Now you're putting it in this position to take care of you, essentially. And it's just a dog, man. But they're trained to do that. No, but it doesn't. That doesn't matter. You put them in like certain situations. No, I'm like, saying I don't think people have to put credentials saying my dog is trained. I think that they can arrive and say this is my emotional support dog, and that's fine. 
I think you could say Otis gets to fly with you because well, you they they need to be certified, right? Somehow. I don't think so. Are you sure? I don't think so. I don't know. Look, I don't know what they, I, maybe they're going to have more restrictions if these types of things keep happening. But dogs have the potential to bite people. People have the potential to bite people. The problem is <laughs> okay. you can't you can't hold Mike Tyson. You can't hold a dog accountable. My point is a dog is not a person, so you can't hold them accountable. So who do you hold accountable? The owner, the airline. You see how squirrely it gets. Mm -hmm. If it's a person, if a person bit another person on an airline, you go, oh well, that person just assaulted me. Yeah. Take them to jail. There's responsibility there. Who do you I, I see what you're saying. Who do you punish in this circumstance? You just brought an animal on an airplane. Does that animal want to be on that airplane? Hmm. I don't know. No one can answer that. The animal Animals are very helpful. Dogs are very helpful. I like dogs, man. Dogs can, can pull a sled. They could support you emotionally, all the rest of it. But you put them on an airplane with a bunch of strangers, and they bite someone. And I feel bad because, like, does, does that dog get put down now? I don't know. The dog's in a confined cabin. Man, my dog, when I was growing up, even in the car sometimes didn't like it that much. Panting and frantic. And I just think you're not really thinking about the dog that much in that circumstance. You're thinking about yourself more than that dog. And you're going, if I want that dog there, that dog's going to be there. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Maybe some people, they can't. No one can take care of the dog. They need to travel. There's like all kinds of stuff going on. But I, I don't know that that particular dog's in rough shape now because, and definitely the one who mauled the other person in the face, I don't know what the outcome is for these dogs. But they run an airplane, and, and that can't feel all that natural. But anyway, mm -hmm. dogs, what can you say? Anyway, well, uh, we're, we're going on and on here. And uh, to, be, to be fair, we got to keep it moving. So I hope uh, you've got a great question for us today. Okay. So this is, uh, I cannot pronounce this name. I apologize. Ayush. Ayush? Yeah, Ayush. I know him. <laughs> okay. It's my guy, sure. Ayush Singh. Um, my guy right there. <clears throat> hey, Lou and Will. Um, from India. How What's up? Shout out, India. Yeah, shout out. How important do you think the budget segment of phones are? And should Apple diversify into other segments to stay afloat? I mean, we talked about this a lot. Let's solidify it. Like, what do you think about it? <laughs> You're solidifying right now. Yeah. Wow. You brought three things today. You know that? You brought uh, three. Uh. That just like shut the show down. That's how good they were. Oh, okay. They shut. We're going to solidify. Budget segment is the, is the most important segment because it's the last frontier for new smartphone users. And so I like to think of it in, ter in terms of platforms. Like I, I think a lot of this stuff operates on momentum. I think, for example, when it comes to Apple... Uh, being within their ecosystem is a big component in whether or not you choose another Apple device next. And when I look at India specifically, I go, oh, they missed a boat because the stuff was priced in such a fashion that it couldn't be, it couldn't be people's first smartphones. Versus here in North America, the origin story, early iPhones, there really wasn't comparable stuff at the time. Definitely not to the degree that there's comparable stuff now. So if, if all these people get upstart, you know, their first smartphone, which is likely a budget smartphone, happens to be an Android device and it all works well and becomes familiar and they get caught up in Google apps and the Google ecosystem in general, it's going to have the same effect but in reverse of them. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, Apple is still this aspirational brand. So some people are going to hit it big. They're going to hit the jackpot or whatever and still go buy an iPhone. But it's going to be more common 
presumably, to be comfortable with the platform that you exist on, with the operating system that you're using, and the apps that you're invested in and services, and you're going to stick around and stay there, especially since you've got all this selection. So I think Apple can do some things still to try to change this story, the progression of this story. They can come with a regional phone, which they haven't done before, but they could release something exclusively maybe in India for the Indian market. Uh, there are brands that have done it, right? Oppo, Vivo, Xiaomi, they all have their segmented stuff specifically for India with attention in that department. In some cases where people are jealous in other parts of the world that they don't have access. This is one way that Apple could protect its profit margins elsewhere while still offering something that's more region specific, attainable in a particular region. I think budget smartphones are the future of smartphones until we get to some next form factor, until we see some major progression like in the form of a folding device or some reason to spend all that extra money unless you just have it sitting around there will be a market for premium devices but it won't be the market it won't be the big market from a scale perspective instead those users are going to increasingly choose devices that represent better value for them and we talked about this on the previous episode even in apple's situation because yesterday we talked about how the iPhone XR crushed the sales of the more premium devices. So even in North America, cost sensitivity increasing. So Apple's going to have to do something. I don't know exactly what. Should they get more regional? Should they drop a little lower? I think selling just the old device is not enough at this point. Things are moving very quickly. And so I think the price point they come in with the, their next R version is going to be very critical in my opinion, for, for market penetration. Mm -hmm. They're still Apple, let's be honest. They, they're gonna, they got that logo. They got the bite, the Apple with the bite out. They got that for life now. Mm. You can't erase history. The, the momentum is there. It will be there. But if they want, and, and, and so when people talk about, oh, Apple ain't worried, trillion dollars. <laughs> you know, you get people, they talk like that. But yeah, you're right. But, but all you got to do if you want to play this game, if you want to, tell this story is just expand your scope of time is the game five years is the game 10 years is the game 50 years is the game 100 years well that's the question you need to answer because we've been at it now for a bunch of years we've been at it for 20 years and you got to have a map you got to have a a plan there's so much you can do now but then you got to project as well these companies are full of people that uh, are going to stick around for a while and so when I, when I think about this stuff, especially when I think about emerging markets and I think about new users coming online, I just expand, I extend the scope, I, I ex extend the amount of time out. I go, no, it's not about this year. It's not about profits this year. It's not about profits five years from now. Let's go to 10, 20, 30, 50. It's interesting. It's exciting. It's cool to try to do that and see how these decisions map out over a bigger portion of time. So there you have it. Willie, do we did it all. We saw it all. We said it all. I need an emotional support dog after that. Because mm. that's how intense it was. So I need support. And, I mean, I need a lot of things. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. I need a Galaxy Fold. So Samsung, get with it. We should, you should be sending the very first version of the new version to us. Mm -hmm. You can email Will. Will at lulater.com. Or I guess they could email you will at unboxtherapy.com. Yep. You can email Will so many different ways. You got no excuses. Mm -hmm. 
could email Kirk if you want. Although I can't promise what he's going to send back your way. It might be inappropriate, to be honest. It's my bet on that matter. People have things to do today. Kirk's got a very important, very important sure does. hard stop today. So because of that, we're going to have to hard stop right out of here. So that's it. Later. <laughs>